Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. When you think of homesteading, what comes to mind? Ma and Pa Ingalls out on the prairie trying to build a home and raise a family with their own resources on a large plot of dusty land? Maybe you think of the early pictures of covered wagons crossing dangerous territories on their way to stake a claim out west. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but in reality, modern homesteading is nothing like that. Sure, there are still a few folks who tough it out on their own in the middle of nowhere, completely off the grid. And whether they just grew up that way and kept to it, passing all that on to the next generations, or whether they made a conscious decision to live off-grid and rely only on what they can provide for themselves, they are the exception rather than the rule. Today, homesteading can happen just about anywhere, because modern homesteading isn't about relying only on yourself. It's also about having a community and relying on resources close to home for the things that you just can't produce yourself. And that home can be anywhere, in the city or in the country. It's just a matter of taking the steps to figure out what you can reasonably provide for yourself and what you can glean locally to make yourself a bit more self-sufficient. Just because you live in a suburban neighborhood doesn't mean you can't hone many homesteading skills and become a homesteader. Maybe you've had a great run at gardening and you want to take it a step further, but you're overwhelmed by the thought that you need to do all of these things to become totally self-sufficient. Homesteading in our modern, globally connected world doesn't mean all or nothing. So if you've ever had the idea that you'd like to rely a little less on the outside world and a little more on your own backyard, today's the episode for you. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. All right, so this is your weekly reminder to be sure you're hydrating yourself while working out in your garden, my friend. If you're not a water lover, there are tons of other ways to be sure you're getting enough fluids, either through flavoring your water with electrolyte mixes or eating hydrating foods like fruits and veggies with high water content. Our heat here has been brutal. And even though I drink water very regularly and I increase my intake when working outside, I still ended up with a heat-induced headache for two days last week. And I had a slight one even today. Heat exhaustion is no joke, so drink up, my friend, please. Of course, all this talk of the heat brings me to this week's DRL. What am I doing? I'm harvesting garlic. I mean, that's not all I'm doing, but that's the exciting thing that I'm doing. The soft neck garlic is ready to pull this week, and that means the hard neck is not far behind. This also means that that bed will be freed up to put a quick buckwheat cover crop in for the summer and then be ready to plant again in the fall with something else. Although I have to go look at the map to see what it is that I'm supposed to be planting because I can't remember off the top of my head what I'm going to put in that bed. 
Uh, I'm also putting together a new metal raised bed that I got from Planter Box Direct. It's made in the U.S. from U.S. steel, and it's coated and colored barn red to match all my wooden beds that are unfortunately starting to rot and fall apart. So I'm excited to get it filled in and ready to plant and test it all out. And that is about all that I can muster outside of the regular farm chores right now because this oppressive heat has meant very, very early days to get the harvest in before it's too hot for the plants. And then midday work, pretty much cleaning and packing the harvest. And then back outside in the evening as the heat starts to dissipate just enough to pull weeds or trellis tomatoes or whatever else is on my never-ending to-do list. So what am I reading? Mostly articles on different forms of nutrients for the gardens. I'm really diving deep into soil microbes and how they deliver nutrients to our plants and how they protect them from disease and how to combine that with things like vermicomposting, which is composting with worms. And then, of course, I'll want to share what I've learned with you. So I've got some experimental stuff going on with both of those things in the gardens. So I'll keep reading and learning and then we'll chat, okay? So in the meantime, I'm still looking for good audiobook recommendations if you've got them, so send them my way. And then what am I listening to? I am currently listening to select episodes of Into the Garden with Leslie. Leslie is Leslie Harris, and the podcast is mainly about ornamental gardening, which I admittedly do not have any time for in most cases. I'm lucky if I have time to slam a few annuals in the pots around my front porch and then just go on my merry way. I really want to build out some perennial beds around the yard and the garden areas that can just get my attention in the early spring and the very late fall when I do have some time, but I've not even had much time for that over the past few years. So I'm listening to Leslie talk all about her plant of the week each week and interview folks that have vast knowledge of all things ornamental. And I sort of laugh when Leslie uh, very emphatically says that she is ignorant of vegetable gardening and houseplants, but is willing to try because I'm right there with her with the ornamentals. The show is called Into the Garden with Leslie, and I will link to it in the show notes. On to the question of the week. This week's question comes from one of the online gardening groups I'm a member of, and the gardener asked... How do I tell the difference between tomato leaf curl disease and just plant stress? Now, she did provide a picture with this question, which did help a little bit with her specific situation, but my answer would still be the same nonetheless. Tomato leaf curl is actually a viral infection in the plant. It's usually spread by white flies or if you bring transplants into your garden that already have the virus. Now, usually you're going to see very pronounced curling of just about all of the leaves on the plant at first, but that is very going to quickly be followed by some yellowing of the spaces between the veins. We call that intervenal chlorosis of the leaves. If you hearken back to some of the episodes where I've talked about nutrient deficiencies, intervenal chlorosis can be a sign of several different nutrient deficiencies. So it's important to really observe your plants when you're making note of what's wrong. All the signs combined are usually what's going to lead you to the answer. Now, another distinguishing trait of the leaf curl virus is the growth of the tomato plant itself will often be stunted. The length between the leaf nodes will be shorter, so this gives the plant a more bush-like growth rather than a vine like a typical tomato. 
and then you're likely also not going to get any blooms on the plant and therefore no production. And unfortunately, there is no cure for this virus once a plant has it and it needs to be removed from the garden to prevent the spread to other plants. Keep in mind though, there are loads of reasons why a tomato may have curled leaves. In fact, I answered several questions in the past few weeks all concerning tomato leaves curling and not a single one of those plants looked the same. There are other viruses and diseases that can cause leaf curl, all with other symptoms accompanying them. And like the original gardener mentioned, it could just be environmental stress. Things like too much water, not enough water, wind damage, low humidity, or hot, dry weather can all cause tomato leaves to curl, usually temporarily. Herbicide drift and herbicide residue can cause extreme curling in tomato leaves and other plant leaves, and it's very distinctive. Broad mite damage can also cause tomato leaves to curl, along with other members of the nightshade family and many ornamental plants, too. So just like any other damage that you might see in the garden or any other signs and symptoms, when you see the leaves of your tomato plant or any other plant curling up, first assess the weather conditions and then determine if the damage or the symptoms are confined to one plant or one area. Look for signs of pest pressure and look for other signs or symptoms that go along with that leaf curl. This all combined is going to get you much closer to determining what it is and what to do about it. All right, let's talk about homesteading. Now, admittedly, this is, I guess, what my goal was when we moved from our suburban duplex to our rural five acres, but it actually wasn't what I was calling it. A homestead to me really did conjure up images of Little House on the Prairie or old Bonanza episodes. But when I think back on it, what I had deemed as a little ranch was actually a little homestead. The big garden, the small breeds of livestock that, you know, sort of continued to become bigger breeds of livestock, um, teaching myself how to can, how to freeze and dehydrate to preserve the harvest from the garden, learning to butcher animals and milk a cow and what to do when you have an overabundance of eggs. All of those things are homesteading skills. And those skills aren't limited to what you can do on a large acreage or even limited by where you're located at all. The definition of a homestead, according to Oxford Languages, is a house, especially a farmhouse, and outbuildings. Okay, well, that's fairly simple. Or, in the North American historical context, land as provided by the Federal Homestead Act of 1862. Now, the Homestead Act which was enacted during our Civil War here in the U.S., provided that any adult citizen or intended citizen who had never borne arms against the U.S. government could claim 160 acres of surveyed government land. Now, the claimants were required to live on and improve their plot by cultivating the land for a period of five years in order to receive patent or title to the land. Of course, this was a little awkward because at the time this was signed, 11 states had left the Union and slavery was still being hotly contested. So you can imagine this little piece of legislation was a bit of an issue for years to come. Nevertheless, this is where we get those images in the U.S. of families crossing the plains in covered wagons to start a new life west of the original 13 colonies. The government granted more than 270 million acres of land while that law was in effect. 
There are, of course, examples of this from all over the world. People have staked a claim to land by planting themselves on it, building their homes, and subsisting on what the land and surrounding natural resources could provide. Not an easy way to make a life, but often better than the circumstances that they came from. This is the essence of homesteading, self-sufficiency. It's characterized by subsistence agriculture, where you're only growing enough to feed yourself and your family and maybe enough to trade with others if you live close enough to another community. It is also including preserving that food. It often means learning to produce your own textiles. That's all the traditional ways of homesteading, which really indicates a lifestyle away from community for the most part. Traditional homesteading was often practiced in remote areas where trade was conducted on a very limited basis and always involved travel. There was no choice but to learn these skills. You either learned or you died. Today, the majority of the population is connected in one way or another. Our food, our clothing, the things we need to survive, plus all the little luxuries we now have access to, often come from half a world away. And as we saw during 2020 and beyond, that can cause a major problem when there's a disruption in that global economy. Food shortages are scary, especially when you don't know where your food is coming from or when it might be coming next. And that has opened up people's eyes to look toward being just a little bit more reliant on themselves and their local communities for their daily necessities, rather than relying on the basics to be trucked, shipped, or flown in from elsewhere. And that's where homesteading has changed for the modern era. It's no longer you and your family living on 160 acres in the middle of nowhere, trying to live off the land with whatever you have and riding the horses to the nearest town to trade for what you don't. Of course, there are folks who do live that way all across the globe, but that's not what we're talking about here. Homesteading is no longer defined by the places we live, but by the lifestyle choices that we make. We're talking about learning to live in a manner that makes us less susceptible to disruptions in the supply chain, or that align more with our values when it comes to sustainability, or that teaches our children skills that they would need to survive if the power grid suddenly went kaput. Whatever the reason is, modern homesteading is no longer done in a silo. It's virtually impossible in our modern culture to disconnect from everything and simply rely on ourselves. And honestly, it's not practical. We live in communities for a reason. Well, at least there was a reason when we first started building communities. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time or seen my posts on Instagram, you know my husband and I are both former military and that we have a serious coffee habit. We also like to support other veteran-owned businesses, so Black Rifle Coffee is our coffee of choice. Not only do they have great coffee and merch, but they give back to military and first responders with every purchase. If you'd like to support this podcast and another veteran-owned business while also supporting your own coffee habit, head to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. 
Give them a try with no commitment. You can cancel at any time. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your Coffee Club subscription. Even as we roamed the earth as hunter-gatherers, humans still traveled in small community with each other. Most of these tribes were made up of large family units, sometimes extending to larger communities of up to 100 individuals traveling together. These nomadic groups worked together to forage and hunt for their food, to build shelter from surrounding vegetation and with what they carried on their back. When we began to make the transition from hunter-gatherer to settled tribes and learned how to cultivate our food through agriculture, we were able to support larger populations. That is community. Everyone working together to support one another, learn from one another, and protect each other. Now, of course, our communities have greatly evolved over the past 12,000 years or so, and we've gone from one extreme to the other and now back again. I think our modern age is very well suited to the modern homesteader, somebody who knows enough to rely a little bit less on others, but who recognizes the need for others in their community and what they can provide, and a willingness to work together toward that goal of self-sufficiency or maybe community sufficiency is a better term. So what makes you a homesteader? You've got a knack, or at least the urge, to grow some of your own food. Perfect. It doesn't matter how much space you have, you know how I feel about that. A few pots of herbs or lettuces is a few steps towards knowing how to rely a little bit less on others for your food. That's awesome. So what's next? What else would be a homesteading skill that you could learn and practice where you are right now? If you take a look at the website, homesteading.com, you will, of course, see articles about living off-grid using solar power or wind power, defense and protection, emergency preparedness, spinning and weaving, etc., etc., all the stuff you would naturally think about with a traditional homestead. But there are also articles on soap making, homemade barbecue sauce recipes, how to press flowers, how to make a rag rug, candle making, how to make your own essential oils, all these things that you can do anywhere. It's all about making or growing or creating things that you and your family can use in your day-to-day lives that you don't have to rely on somebody else for. And it doesn't mean you have to do it all from the bottom up. That's where community comes in. If you want to learn how to make your own lavender essential oil to make a bug spray that you can use while you work in your garden, which I do highly recommend, but maybe you can't grow lavender, Well, find a lavender grower nearby and buy some from them. You don't have to learn beekeeping and have a bunch of hives to make beeswax candles. Just find a local beekeeper and buy their beeswax and buy some local honey while you're at it. Just because you live in an apartment and you can't keep goats doesn't mean that you can't find a local goat farm and buy some of their milk to make your own goat's milk soap. And along the way, if you can grow your own herbs to make your own tea blends, and share those with a neighbor who's teaching you how to crochet your own blankets, well, now you've got a homesteading community. In fact, homesteading is a community. So many people are getting back to the basics of doing things for themselves that online communities have popped up all over the place. There are conferences you can attend, both online and in person. Farm tours, well, they'll teach you how to do just a little bit of what they do, Classes given by people in their home kitchens or in online classrooms to teach you how to safely can and preserve your harvest and dry your herbs. 
There's YouTube channels and a community of people dedicated to sharing with you the skills that they know so that you can learn and be in community right alongside them. It's about doing a little bit more with your own hands. Cook from scratch more often than eating out or ordering in. Make bread once a month instead of buying it at the store. And then try to buy the rest of your breads from a local bakery or at the farmer's market. So what marks that line of living in a home and having a garden to being a homesteader? Being a homesteader, honestly, just means taking an active role in the cycle of what we consume and discard in our daily lives. The more care that we take and the energy that we put into creating something, then the more concerned we are about where it ends up and how. That's just human nature. If you've bought a cheap little fuzzy blanket at the discount store, you're generally not going to be as concerned about what happens to it as you would the blanket that you made with your own two hands. It's just the world we live in these days. Growing and preserving your own food are just the first in many steps that you can take to become a modern homesteader, no matter where you live. What comes next is entirely up to you. Just remember there is so much more to homesteading than living off the land and surviving on your own. And to talk about that a little bit more, we'll have another bonus episode this week. Join me on Friday as I talk with Ashley Constance of Dirty Paws Homestead and the A Little Self-Reliant podcast. This was a great conversation about how she started homesteading in a townhouse, and she's now homesteading on several acres and still working to further her own self-reliance. If you've ever considered doing anything that we talked about in today's episode, you don't want to miss this conversation with Ashley. So another reminder really quick for you to leave me a voice message at the link in the show notes or to send me a message from justgrowsomethingpodcast.com or from any of my social media accounts and tell me who you are, where you garden, and what one piece of advice you would go back and give yourself when you first started gardening. What do you wish you knew then that you know now? I will use all these answers in our 100th episode coming up in just a few weeks, so I need your answers by July 1st, please and thank you. This show is a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network, and I will leave a link to the fabulous Spotify playlist featuring the other members of the network in today's show notes. Maybe you'll find another podcast that you love to listen to each week. They are all on my weekly playlist for sure. So until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and your homestead, and I'll see you back here on Friday. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to patreon.com slash justgrowsomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.